0: Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux. Sorry you missed all the prequel about tooth issues. (laughs) But uh, to to sum up, please take care of your teeth. Uh, That's a very, very good idea. See the dentist regularly. Floss, use a water pick, whatever it is that you do. Chew gum, keep your saliva flowing. And uh, don't uh, don't assume because you don't feel anything that nothing's going on. Just go to the dentist, get your checkups. That's our our little community health service message of the day. So we have a great lineup of callers this evening. I'm really, really been looking forward to this show all day and I am all ears. All right, so first up we have a person who has, wants to
1: ask about uh, some business advice, business plan advice. He writes, I have my own company that I have run to varying success. I've recently come up with a business plan that seems to be too good to be true. And I've run it by several people who think it's a good idea. The reason why I think it's too good to be true is because it's looking like I could make about $1,500 a day at, at a low end. The risk is an initial loan of $100,000 for machinery and initial tools. I have so far talked to a banker, machine specialist, and several successful business owners in, my, in the family about it. If Steph has time, I'd like to run up by him to make sure my
0: head isn't in the clouds. Well, do I have time? Well, um, I have been released from time commitments by a wide variety of social media companies lately so i think it's safe to say i do have time i mean the thing that i'm working on at the moment and i just uh, sorry it's been a little bit of time to get the new chapters out for almost for those who are following along but uh, i did a two hours of recording today and uh, it's a little tough on the voice and also i got some long chapters going down i just wanted to sort of <laughs> mentioned that but we'll get to it so i'm all ears Do you want to now obviously don't give me any sort of content of the business idea outside of what you're comfortable with because if it's a great idea you might not want to broadcast it but uh yeah what's uh, what's in your mind
2: well so when i uh, wrote wrote this about last week um it was in regards to manufacturing uh like parts for guns i i have a firearm business and right now guns are booming in america um so I was looking at getting a loan, and so far, I've, after talking to a few more people, I've kind of decided on maybe backing away from the loan a little bit um, just because I have other funds coming in. But I've still been struggling with trying to figure out that risk balance because some of this does seem really good. And, you know, trying to decide where to place that risk and to run with it, I've kind of been struggling with. So I was hoping you can help me out with that a little and see where maybe i should focus more on
0: well i mean that's a challenge right and the challenge with business advice is the more you share your idea the more valuable the advice can be the less but but then of course the, particularly in this kind of environment right the more risky it is that somebody else is going to run with the idea so i'm not sure how to balance that with with what you've got but um I'm, I'm sort of i need a little bit more before i can sort of give you any feedback
2: okay so actually uh, i can share a lot about this um at this point so i I was looking at manufacturing bullets and uh i'll just stay away from the exact process of it it's not overly complicated but um that the machine to get it and to crank them out i'm well versed in and could do uh the cost per bullet the amount that i could put out per day and all that all looked really good and uh what when i finally went to some of the distributorships to get contracts and whatnot um a lot of what they were saying actually wasn't matching up with what I was seeing in the market. And so uh, I've had one distributor tell me that they were not looking to purchase from new, new manufacturers and several others tell me that they were interested, but they weren't going to put in for contracts, even though right now uh, pretty blanket over the market, there is a six month back order for any parts for bullets, uh, a lot of firearm parts as well. We're looking at like a six month minimum back order and then they kind of just stop monitoring after that. I would be able to start cranking them out in about six weeks if I went through with a loan and to actually you know, start producing them. But I think everybody's just so up in the air with all the politics. So it seems like there's just a lot of risk and everybody doesn't really know kind of how to focus that. And I'm trying to figure out where I should focus on. And it, it's it's gotten me more confused than normal.
0: Okay. And what's your confusion?
2: Um, I guess for me, uh, where, where do I draw the line at risk and family? If, uh, if I take there, what I'm doing now with the business and all that, I can go ahead and keep paying my bills. If I go and take out this loan, it kind of puts me in a corner. Like I have to produce, I have to be able to continue, um, more and more. And I sacrifice that time with my family and there. Although it seems that there's a guarantee, there doesn't always seem to be a guarantee. Like, as soon as I have people saying, yeah, we'll buy some, but then you go to the distributorships and they say, oh, we're not actually buying anything from anybody.
0: What about, you know, the the big unknown, and I was just reading about this in my novel today, the big unknown is always the regulatory environment. In other words, how subject to the whims of politicians is what you're trying to do?
2: Oh, a ton. That They actually put me out of business for 11 months because they lost my paperwork. I had to drain my savings once. And I, that might be why I'm so hesitant to jump into major risks with this again.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, so being dependent upon the whims of other people who have political motivations is really tough. I mean, I say this, this is somewhat of a similarity because, you know, the social media... Deplatforming platforming that I've experienced over the last, gosh, I guess 10 or, 10 or 11 months, uh, is it's pretty wild, right? And there was no rules that I knew that I broke. There was no warning. There was simply a decision, no negotiation, and so on. And it has to do, of course, I think, largely with politics. And... You know, in, in the past, you could sort of make your arguments and people would get upset with you and they'd fire back or they'd create response videos or they'd engage in debates with you. But, you know, that's not really how things roll in the West anymore. There is not, uh, you know, the, the debate is not on. The conversation is not on. You've got this magical spell called hate speech, which can be cast on your enemies and uh, silence them from the public platform. And that... You know, some social media companies, I've heard, are e- even going so far as to retroactively create terms of service. In other words, if they create a new term of service that says, you can't say X. Well, they're never that explicit, right? It's always very vaguely worded, vaguely termed. But they say, let's just say X is unacceptable, right? Now, of course, if you said or argued for X in the past, then... The terms of service that says now that X is unacceptable should not be able to reach back through the tunnel of time and, you know, pluck you from the other side, right? That, that would make no sense at all because that would be like saying, well, we, you know, we're raising tax rates. Oh, and by the way, we're going to go back 10 years and hit you with that tax rate from the past, right? That would be uh, unjust. That would be completely unjust but that does seem to be happening in some arenas right so if something was permitted and now it's frowned upon then it should be on a going forward basis of course right I mean it's like if they raise I was explaining this to my daughter the other day and I said look it's like let's say that they have a a traffic cam at a, a corner and they're just trying to get people rolling through traffic lights uh, sorry rolling through stop signs no traffic lights yeah just rolling through stop signs and then they install some traffic lights and then what they do is they go back in time and get you for going through the traffic lights that didn't exist when you were there right you know, you're supposed to wait two minutes at a stop sign i don't know right so this retroactive law thing is pretty pretty rough and uh, but of course nobody's playing by any objective rules in the truly the true hailstorm of american politics these days so that's sort of my way of saying yeah i, I kind of get what you're coming from that if there are these regulations or these political aspects to what it is that you're doing then you got uh, you got some real risk there and it's not the kind of risk that you can easily manage right
2: yeah i so. think i think listening to you that's cleared up what uh maybe maybe a better question would be asked should I continue investing in this business directly because of all that? And maybe that's the you know something I need to kind of explore more of, and maybe look outside of the firearms. Although I've loved it, I've I've been moderately successful, minus when the government steps in. Um, but it is it is a high risk right now, extremely high risk. If, if one election goes the wrong way, and you bring in a huge profit for three or four months. And then it goes down to almost zero. And I actually, right before I moved my business out of California, where it was originally based, um, I lost into the five digits figure on a contract that I had with police departments that backed out because of the way that uh, Kamala Harris's DOJ was threatening them on how she's going to enforce the law under her definitions. Not what it was written, but her definitions.
0: Well, yeah, because there is this general move in America and other places as well. To it's not it's not exactly to take away your rights, but it is kind of to subvert your rights. And I mean, there was a guy I I can't remember the details of it, but I just read this this morning that the police assured him like a month ago. And and if you know more, just just let me know about it. But the the police assured this guy a month ago that they weren't going to prosecute him because he was acting in self-defense with uh, regards to one of these rioters or looters or protesters or whatever you want to call them. And they're like, no, I think it's on camera. It's self-defense, so no problem. Right now, well, he just got charged with manslaughter and, you know, the usual bunch of other stuff. And so now, I mean, what they're trying to do, of course, in America is twofold, right? To defund the police and to take away your practical right of self-defense. Right, because there's the rights that you have on paper, that you have the right of self-defense, but there's also the rights that you have in actual practice. And so, yeah, the defunding of the police and the taking away of the right to self-defense. Like that couple uh, who was defending their home uh, from people who'd broken into a private enclave, a private neighborhood. And, uh, yeah, they got uh, charged as well. So I guess with, I mean, people that write, they're very much into guns in America at the moment, to a large degree, because they're concerned about civil unrest as the result of whatever happens in November, right? And, well, yeah, <laughs> they should be, uh, not the, not because of anything that heart. I'm making up. But yeah, I mean, this is what people are just, they're promising civil unrest. And uh, certainly for sure, when you have someone like Hillary Clinton saying that there's just under no circumstances should Biden concede the election, it's like, uh... <laughs> That's that's like third world, no peaceful transfer of power stuff, right? And so there is going to be a lot of unrest. And Americans, as do most people in the West, supposedly have the right of self-defense. But your rights don't get up and walk around. They don't defend you. They're just, you know, as George Bush the Younger said famously many years ago, Constitution is just a piece of paper. It's like, well... Yeah, and if the laws are not going to be enforced, or they're going to be counter-enforced, and so on, that's a very real situation. So, if you uh, if you are successful, that's when you're in trouble these days, right? So, if you have a great deal of success uh, in selling uh, bullets, and then some of those bullets are used in self-defense, well, I mean, they can of course go after the people who are defending themselves they can, you know, maybe find something to go after you with. I mean, things are getting pretty nutty out there at the moment. Uh, the the uh, the mere laws and the mere syllogisms, the arguments and the evidence don't seem to mean nearly as much as they used to. So maybe that's part of what you're concerned about?
2: Yeah, I, I think that sums it up pretty well. Like, I, I'm kind of listening to you and looking at what I wrote and yeah, it's the business says great. The business model says great, and why I'm backing away from it is because of all this. I mean, the overall market for firearms ownership has grown over twenty five percent, and and yet why are distributors not actually putting out for more orders to to bring in that amount? And I think it's kind of says to how everybody's worried. But yeah, I th- I think that's something where I don't think there is a a good clear answer for this. <laughs> but I just have to kind of figure out where I'm going to go from here then.
0: Right. Now, with regards to sort of family time and risk, I have obviously my own... I've had my own thoughts about that over the... uh, You know, over the last, I don't know, 15 years or so. Although, of course, initially what I thought about when I talked about, you know, voluntary families and so on, it didn't strike me as particularly... um, Risky? Uh, Some stuff I know has been more risky to talk about, but what's happened, of course, is that my focus on risky topics has generally diminished over the years, and yet the perceived risk has increased because of the sensitivities of the general population and propaganda and so on. So, with regards to that, I think you want to show courage, not cowardice, and also not foolhardiness, right? Right? This is an Aristotelian mean that I've talked about many times on this show, but it's an important thing. You you want to show your kids that you have moral courage, but not to the point of self-destruction, if that makes sense. Because they you want them to admire your resolution, your integrity, but also you want them to respect your judgment. And so... I think I think it's important to take some risks. Without talking in specific uh, about your business content, but yeah, with regards to business, you do want to show some courage. You want to show some resolution. You want to show some capacity to take risks. But also, you know, if the plane's going down, you got to know when to jump too. <laughs> like this, there's, there's no commandment to go down with the ship, so to speak. And so I would say with regards to the manageable risk, like the non-political risk, the non-regulatory risk, like whatever's happening out there in the market for you, I think it's worth taking some real risks. We can, we can survive a lot more failure than we usually think we can because most of life is failure, right? I mean, most of life is things not particularly working out. I mean, even for me, right? I mean, my most famous video was like, eight years ago or something like that. I mean, I think I'm still producing wonderful work even now, but most of what I do is not as successful as things I've done in the past. You know, it's the old, you know, it's, you go from writing Bohemian Rhapsody to writing a song about your cats called Delilah, which the drummer hated uh, if you're a Freddie Mercury, right? I mean, it's, it's a little tough to maintain the same level of success, at all times, but still, people keep going and uh, doing their thing. So we can take a lot more. Like once you kind of re-adjust your perceptions to remember that most things in life aren't going to be the best. I mean, they, they statistically, they can't be, right? I mean, every tennis player has one serve that was his fastest serve, which we'll never do again, right? And hopefully, it's in a match, and hopefully, it's in a key point. But most songwriters will write a couple of great songs. I mean, even if you're considered to be one of the best songwriters in the universe, uh, Paul McCartney, say, then, you know, when when was the last time, even though he's, I think, struggled with Elvis Costello to write songs and all that, but when was the last time he wrote a classical piece called Liverpool Oratorio, I think, but when was the last time that Paul McCartney wrote a song that charted, right? 40 years? 30 years? It's a a long time, uh, no matter what, right? And... You know, even Steve Martin, who was the most famous stand-up comedian in the world, and really in stand-up history, did stand-up for 18 years and then just burned out. You know, he said, well, my creative energies were done and I just couldn't sustain it. And it's the same thing with John Cleese, a very funny guy who did a lot of different things, everything from, you know, the sitcoms uh, Faulty Towers to Monty Python to movies like A Fish Called Wanda. And even he did uh, comedic instructional videos or educational videos for corporations and so on. And yeah, he was like, yeah, it's about 15 years. You get about 15 years of peak creativity and then it just kind of waltzes off or Stevie Wonder, when was the last time? I mean, I remember I was working in Thunder Bay when he was charting. And this is back when I was, before before I went to university, the guy was charting with like part-time lover and stuff like that and... It's been a long time. A great creative force and all that. And uh, Prince and Michael Jackson. and I mean, they get these peak creative years and then things kind of fade away. So I think you kind of want to grab the iron while the iron's hot and get yourself in there and take some risks. But not to the point, of course, where, you know, you can't sleep, it's affecting your health and all, all that kind of stuff. I think that's uh, really important. And everybody's level of risk is... kind of personal thing and uh, it's tough to give people objective advice about how much risk they should take how much stress is comfortable for them because that's kind of a personal thing but I think it's worth taking some risks because I mean if you fall flat on your face you know as the old saying goes as long as you still got your health right I mean then you can sort of pick yourself back up but you know if you if you ride the stress bike too long uh, you know, your your sort of pedestal of health could dissolve under you, so to speak. So uh, I would definitely, you know, take, take some risks and take some chances. The more that you can do on the side to test the idea, right? So I started this show on the side, right? I was a part-time lover of philosophy, I, I suppose, going back to the Stevie Wonder song. But I think you do want to test the waters, see what's going to fly, what's going to work, And then, and then, if you decide to go in, go all in, right? So when I first started this show, the company that I was working for in the tech field, well, this happened actually twice. So when I left the company that I co-founded to write novels, I wanted to write novels, they offered me, I don't know, crazy, 150,000 bucks a year. I mean, this is like over 20 years ago. So it was like, I don't know, twice as much now. Uh, just to come in three days a week. And it was tempting. It was tempting, but I thought, you know, no, if I'm going to write novels, I'm going to write novels. I'm not going to have this kind of split focus and and this and that. And plus I knew, you know, these kinds of jobs tend to spill over and then there could be travel involved. And, you know, the last thing you want is a full-time job with part-time pay, so to speak. And then that also happened when I left to start Free Domain back, then it was free domain ready, of course. I got an offer of, again, three days a week, a uh, pretty good salary to just continue doing what I was doing for this company. Uh, I was a director of marketing at that point, and I'm like, nope. I <laughs> tempting though it is, and I did go back in once or twice more. But tempting though it is, I am going to say no because if I'm going to do this, I want to do it all the way. I'm a big one for jump in and. It's the fastest way to learn how to swim. It's not the greatest analogy because, of course, learning how to swim, if you fail, you die. But I'm a big one for, you know, test the waters. But once you decide to go for it, then I would say, you know, go for it in half. Because nothing succeeds like commitment. Nothing succeeds like commitment. That's sort of why I have this hostility to some degree to long-distance relationships, you know, where people are kind of in, kind of out. Uh, they're they're just treading water and to me it's like get in the pool get out the pool but don't just kind of hang half in and so yeah test the waters and if you do decide that it's worth taking the risk then I'm you know I'm a big one for nothing provokes your creativity like commitment uh, or panic (laughs) for want of a better phrase nothing is going to get your juices flowing and your creative energy flowing like going all in because I mean gosh when I was starting this show I mean podcasting there was no monetization on YouTube there was no monetization anywhere there were no ads there was no easy way to get ads I you know there was nobody who wanted to advertise on podcasts back in the day so that was um, one of the big creative challenges and it just helped propel me to be even more creative and even more dedicated, and uh, take even more risks and so on. And I think I, think I managed the risk portfolio fairly well. Uh, you know, it's hard to say, obviously, in hindsight, because there's no A-B testing when it comes to these kinds of decisions. But I'm pleased with the risks that I took. The consequences have been very harsh, but uh, not entirely unexpected, of course. And uh, so, you know, whatever you do, just don't have regrets. That's sort of the big key thing in this life, right? Whatever you do, just don't have regrets. Regrets will kind of gnaw you up. And you're always going to have some regrets. If I had played it more safe, maybe I'd still be on these various platforms, but then I'd have the regret of sitting on important information that I hadn't shared. uh, And that would have been pretty rough Uh, if I had gone, I don't know, more more full tilt boogie and stuff, then I would have the regrets of having provoked my own deplatforming. But as far as I'm concerned, I walked out with, I was yeeted out, so to speak, with my honor intact. I told necessary truths, and uh, I don't. Uh, I, I never acted out of hatred or malice or hostility or anything like that. And so, uh, the the shame of the deplatforming uh, rests not on my shoulders at all. And the shame of having avoided important truths for the sake of trying to avoid deplatforming does not sit on my shoulders as well. So that's just sort of a little slice of what you want to aim for i think which is to be satisfied with the decisions uh, that you've made and to have really reaped the rewards of a major commitment like you got to figure out the parachute once you're out of the plane right <laughs> that's kind of a a have to right
2: oh, and i've put myself in that situation a few times and i've always been okay and um you know it's you, you talking about all that the risk that you've taken and stuff and uh, yeah, I, I can understand that in not the same way, but in a similar way. And then it just it kept popping up in my head while you are talking about that. It's it's my kids now. That's what's changed it for me, is uh having kids. It's absolutely amazing, but all of this is just coming down to my risk assessment has changed since I've had kids.
0: And it should. Yeah, it should. I don't
2: ride a motorcycle anymore. Any right. it, right. It's absolutely fun, but... I saw a guy die in a motorcycle accident. I'm like, I have kids now.
0: (laughs) Right. That'll do it. That'll do it. And so, yeah. So with kids, you don't want to teach them that life is so scary, you can't take any risks. But you also don't want to teach them that you should just throw yourself out of a plane and hope there's a parachute somewhere between you and the ground, right? So (laughs) you've got to get that, that middling road going. So, to speak, right? So, um, and and again, that's very much a personal judgment. But when it comes to kids, I mean, it's, it's, you know what it's like as a dad, right? It's like the physical caution side, right? You don't want your kids to be afraid of taking any physical risks because then they just sit on the couch and get sick that way, right? But at the same Mm -hmm. time, you don't want them taking crazy risks that result in them getting injured, uh, harmed in, in terrible ways, or whatever. So, you gotta you gotta find that I mean it's the same thing with exercise right I mean you want to exercise to the point where you're healthy, you don't want to exercise to the point where you know like Tiger Woods right It was asked the other day what he regrets about his 20s and he says, well, one thing I regret is I ran too damn much. so now my knees are shot. Now I'm not sure that the golf is not a very sprinty kind of sport so I'm not sure that it was necessary. For him to run that much I see a lot of golfers with pot bellies and I'm pretty sure they couldn't sprint up a flight of stairs so you know there's a guy who exercised too much I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger has the same complaint about his own knees right but at least he was doing the kind of quad building racehorse knee squats that got him to be Mr Universe a couple of times and was kind of an essential part of his bodybuilding career but I don't think it was quite as necessary for Tiger Woods so yeah exercise enough that you stay healthy but not so much that you get uh you get messed up like a friend of mine who was a judo guy and some big beefy 250 pound Russian guy landed on his knee in a bad way and his knee just got completely mushed and it took him forever to recover from that and it's the kind of thing where who knows what's going to happen when he's 60 or 70 he's going to have to some sort of knee pounding knee replacement or something so yeah, just you gotta you gotta find that middle ground, and the middle ground is tricky. Middle ground is is tough, and it's a bit of a shifting sphere, right? I mean, so for me, risky exercising is different now than it was when I was 25 or 20 or all that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, you do want to show your kids that you know, Daddy's willing to go out there and seize the day and make his mark on the world, but also not that there's a smoking financial and emotional crater where Dad's brain, heart, and balls used to be, that because then then they're gonna get the message that if you take risks, you're going to get wrecked and you don't want to communicate that message either. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that's definitely helped clear it up. And by the way, you're the one who also convinced me to get a family going. So,
0: Oh, tell me, tell me more about that. That's uh, the news I love to hear.
2: Okay. So, uh, we spoke back in, uh, like, 2015. You gave me a decent bit of advice back then. I was in a rough patch of my life right then. And you said, find yourself a girl that you can imagine is a 350-pound fat old Asian man that you could actually live with for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, so I did, but, uh, you know, after I removed that uh, veil that I put over myself, she was very gorgeous uh, a wife, Given me two great kids. We're we're living in a homestead out in the middle don't, of nowhere. Don't ever now, don't so. ever refer to your <laughs>
0: wife's gorgeousness in the past tense. But other than that, go
2: ahead. Oh yes, thank you for catching me on that. But yes, yeah, so we have two beautiful kids. We want five to seven kids too. So we're you know we we're going all in on the family portion.
0: <laughs> wow, that is uh, well good for you, man, and congratulations. And uh, I'm perfectly thrilled that uh, the advice. You know, hey, sometimes words can. Summon life, right? Sometimes a piece of good advice can uh, summon actual human beings out of nothing. And that's uh, that's very great. That's great to hear. I really, really appreciate that. And congratulations to you both. Well, to all of you, I suppose. Thank you. All right. Okay, well, keep me posted. And uh, good luck with the venture. And, uh, yeah, just where the regulations uh, start getting in, particularly politics, uh, risk factor goes up pretty high. And it doesn't really matter how, you know, it's sort of like that Indiana Jones bit of cheesiness, right, where Harrison Ford had some sort of flu and was supposed to have this big fight with this sword-wielding guy, but he just pulled out his gun and shot him. So, you know, you can you can practice all you want when it comes to sword play, but, you know, regulation and government power is just kind of like having a gun. And uh, it doesn't really matter how much you've uh, uh, <laughs> sold. As some comedian, a very cynical comedian, which is, of course, usually the case, right? But he was uh, saying uh, that there's some people who they want to experience extreme storms, right? And, and they, they, what they'll do is they'll tie themselves to a tree. And they'll just sit there and, and go through the storm. And he's like, you know, that's kind of dangerous. But they say, uh, well, no, no, that's, you know, I work out. And he's like, yeah, well, you work out, but uh, when that Volvo comes spiraling towards you, it doesn't really matter how many sit-ups you did that morning, now does it? (laughs) And that's kind of what it is with regulations. All of the finesse and all of the uh, skill that you have developed. I mean, you know, to go back to the deplatforming, right? I have been working on my debating skills for almost 40 years. Actually, no. About 40 years. I was in my mid-teens when I did my first debate at a model UN. I took the uh, anti-abortion side and did a very poor job of it all. (laughs) Because, you know, it's just learning. So, yeah, 40 years. I 40 years of debating. And, of course, if the people who decided to deplatform me had engaged in a debate with me, I probably would have done pretty well. Right? Because they probably wouldn't have been as experienced and all that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how skilled a debater i am it doesn't matter how much data how many facts how many people i've interviewed that doesn't matter right because they just flip a switch right and suddenly i'm the sword guy with a bullet in his belly so yeah so i would just say manage your risk as, as best you can which is kind of a useless thing to say because like well of course i should <laughs> do the right thing there we go that's my moral philosophy but yeah thanks for the call man i really really appreciate it and uh, let me know how it goes
2: thanks so much i'll keep you updated and posted on how it how it plays out.
0: Thanks, man. All right. Who do we have next? All right. Next up, we have a caller who writes. In
1: one live stream, I asked you a question about how to deal with thoughts of revenge. You gave me great advice and mentioned the call-in. It turns out that the anger and thoughts of revenge towards the father of the girl I wanted to be with are just one part of a larger problem. After the relationship ended, the girl got stuck in my mind for a far longer time than the usual. Her spirit persists at my side shackled to me, always there when my mind frees itself from whatever was giving it a momentary distraction. When the relationship ended, it made me painfully confused. I plunged through the ice, lost in chaos. Eventually, I figured it out. With some great help, I put myself together again. But if that event was a great mountain that with great difficulty I managed to climb and descend from, the present and the future are the great valley that extends itself into the shadow of the past. At the end of the valley, there is only death. I desperately want to see the light again before that comes, but I haven't been able to, despite my best efforts. I could use some help.
0: Well, that has got to be one of the top five poetic questions that we've ever received in this show, and I, I appreciate that commitment to vivid language. So, Thanks and, and welcome. I, I do remember this question from the live stream. But uh, of course, given that it was a question typed into a live stream, I'm more than happy to hear more about it.
3: Uh yep, nice. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna brag about what you just said for the rest of my life. <laughs> Good. My parents, Could I, I sure just trouble
0: that. you to move a little closer to you, Mike?
3: Uh, sure. Is it better now? Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So uh, let me just say one thing first. I am crazy nervous right now. My heart and my Bowels seem to be overjoyed and excited with their own work. All the while, my legs seem to be giving up on the world and life and everything. <laughs> Part of me. Well, I, to... appreciate,
0: I appreciate that honesty. <laughs> uh, honestly, you will be absolutely shocked at how quickly you will just relax and have a great conversation. But I really, really appreciate that frankness uh, up yep, front. And... So, yeah, let's uh, just get into it. Uh, take your time and um, let, the, let the words flow as best you, you can. And let's hear the story of the girl.
3: That's exactly why I'm saying this, because when you name the dragon, it tends to become less scary. I hope that's the case. Okay, so last year, I was 17, then I'm going to be 19 next month. I met my first girlfriend, and I convinced myself that she would be nice for me. We stayed together for about six months. It was a troublesome relationship. I had uh, problems, well, existential Problems. I was having intellectual doubts and problems with my mother and problems with my inability to have a relationship with her, which made me plunge through the ice as I wrote. I became kind of depressed and I was lost and I was suicidal. And uh, she um, ended up breaking my heart and I was really, really, really lost. I had some help from uh, a bunch of nice people and uh, eventually I figured it out. I... understood what happened I understood my mistakes and what happened to her how she did what she had done and I tried to process it comparing with my history with my mom and all of that that was nice and um, it was in my transition from 17 to 18 so it was a very promising start for my adult life one of the reasons that I was suicidal back then is because there was a part of me that was that knew that she would stay in my mind for a long time. And that part was correct. She still is here, as I wrote in the email. People say that you get over a relationship in half the time, in half the total time that the relationship lasted. Well, it has been almost double the time of the relationship at this point. And she's still here, and I can't figure it out. So.
0: that's it. That's good, and I appreciate that. Sorry, it sounds like I'm judging sort of what it is that you're saying, but let's get to the vengeance aspect of things.
3: Yeah. One of the, okay, so so she she appears in my mind, but there's also the aspect of, of vengeance, which I wrote in the email. Okay. Her father was one of the problems that happened last year. She He was he didn't allow us to be together, and he separated us in class. And he took a phone. He didn't allow us to be together, which uh, made me very frustrated back then. So I, I became angry at him. I still am, right? So I um I have these these thoughts, sort of violent thoughts. Sometimes I would love to violate the nap with his face. And uh, yeah, that's what I wrote the question about. It's one of the things that is stuck in my mind.
0: Okay, now, let's just call this, give me a name for the girl, That's something that's meaningful to you, but not her name.
3: Um, let's say Anna.
0: Anna? Okay, all right. So, my friend, I want you to think back a couple of years ago, when you were 17, right? You say that she broke your heart, right? Yeah. Now, were you a good, healthy boyfriend to have a couple of years ago? No, I wasn't. I was
3: just as bad as her. We were mutually needing feeding of each other's dysfunction. So I was with her, and she was my first, and it was nice to be with her, but I knew deep down that she wasn't the right person for me.
0: She wouldn't be very Well, no, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's not that she wasn't the right person for you, because if you were in, if you don't mind me saying so, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you were in such a messed up state, there was no right person for you. There was nobody whose magical healing presence could have unknotted the tangled aspects of your history and your personality, right? Right.
3: Certainly not her. I mean, she, was, she wasn't a therapist.
0: Well, I mean, I- I- even if she was a therapist, she couldn't, if she was a therapist, she couldn't be your girlfriend ethically, right?
3: Yeah.
0: And <laughs> even if she was your therapist, it takes a long time to change for the better, right?
3: Uh, That's what I seem to be learning.
0: Right. So, do you feel that there was a great love there that you lost?
3: No, it's not something that I would would dare call love. What I'm saying is that I was resentful at myself because of me being... Me lying to myself at that point, so I, I kind of treated her badly sometimes, because I've no doubt. I've
0: no doubt you did, but the reason I asked if there was a great love that you felt that you had lost, my friend, was because you said to me that she broke your heart. Right. I don't know if it's love,
3: but I lost something there. Yeah,
0: I've no doubt that you lost something. Now, the real question is whether that was a good or bad thing that you lost. That's a very interesting question. It's a very deep question. It's a very important question. Now, the language that we use, to some degree, defines our reality. Now, I'm not a big one for like if you call a pumpkin uh, a, a car that you can ride it to the ball or anything like that, but certainly when it comes to our subjective experiences, beliefs determine reality. In other words. If you believe that Anna was the best woman for you, nobody ever better will come along and her father destroyed your relationship and you're destined to be heartbroken for the rest of your life. Like, if I'm not saying you have all of that language, but if you do or have some aspect of it, it's very important to understand that when it comes to subjective experiences, language is reality. Language is reality. The words that we use to describe our experiences define those experiences. Now words don't define objective reality, right? If you say that a pumpkin is a car or a carriage, that does not mean that you get to drive it to the ball or something like that, right? So I'm not a subjectivist in that sense. But when it comes to our own subjective experiences, without a doubt, the language that we use defines reality, the reality of our experiences. And those experiences tend to be among the most important that we could possibly have. So if you say to yourself about this relationship you had when you were 17, if you say, oh, this was the love of my life, she was the best woman for me, and her mean father destroyed the relationship, and it's really terrible and I'll never find someone that good again or, you know, whatever it is that you might be saying with regards to this stuff. If you describe your own subjective experience, and, and a lot of this is subjective, then it becomes indistinguishable from objective reality. And then our emotions tend to respond after a certain amount of time has passed in particular. Our emotions tend to respond to words, not facts, not facts. So I'm sure that you'd be very careful about what you put into your body. You wouldn't just find a piece of bread by the side of the road and eat it, right? I mean, you'd be careful and conscious of whether something was good for you or bad for you. We must, we must, we must be equally rigorous and equally careful about the language we use to describe our experiences and the words that we use that define our lives, because our emotions tend to respond not to empirical facts, but to language. I mean, this is both the great power and the great danger of language. And so, you know, if someone is defined as a hero, then he is a hero to all intents and purposes, right? So, you know, I've done these shows on people like George Washington and Nelson Mandela, people who have hero status to a lot of people, and I put some facts that go against that kind of narrative. And the reason I do that is because if, say, Nelson Mandela, who was a communist and was associated with terrorism, and, like, if, if that's a hero, then we have a big problem, right? Because that's going to be a... Uh, a kind of guide for people, a lodestar to navigate by, or something like that. And so, we do have to be extraordinarily careful about the words that we put inside our minds, and in particular, the words that we use to describe our subjective experiences. So, magic is a very powerful concept and exists in just about all cultures, right? There's the magic of voodoo, there's the magic of spells and wizards and witch doctors and all kinds of things right all of this is the idea that words have particular power and that words can change reality now if you think of course i'm thinking of the dungeons and dragons references i don't know if they mean anything to you but in dungeons and dragons there are a wide variety of spells right and one of them, of course, is a mind control spell. Now, a mind control spell is simply a reference to propaganda, right? Which we can all sort of fathom and, and comprehend from that standpoint. Now, there's also something called a fireball spell. A fireball spell is 66 plus level caster or something like that. And the fireball spell, you know, the ball of flame shoots out from the wizard's fingers and explodes and, and all of that and you get to dive aside for half damage or whatever. Now, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that if you are the media and the propaganda arm of, say, the military-industrial complex, then you can start a war. In other words, your words are transformed into literal fireballs, like bunker-busting bombs and depleted uranium shells being shot all through Fallujah and destroying it genetically for a generation. So words have astounding power in the world. You know, there's the old argument that, uh, that uh, Donald Trump was memed into the White House in 2016, right? Something that, of course, the uh, Democrats don't want to have happen again in any way, shape, or form, right? So when you say to me, and this is not a criticism, I'm sort of just pointing out, Like when you say to me, she broke my heart, that is a statement that probably feels true in the moment, but then the truth of it is maintained through the language that you use to describe the relationship and its end. So uh, that having been said, I really, really do want to know what you mean when you say she broke my heart. How, How so?
3: Okay, okay so by that point i had broken up with her because the relationship was unsustainable but in a certain moment she kind of missed me and she asked me for us to be together again and we did that but i had dropped out of high school at that point and because of her father we couldn't actually meet physically or talk in any way at all so we would have to spend some time apart but still together for the future right So she asked me to uh, see her about a few weeks later in my birthday and that's what I did. during those weeks I was thinking about her right all the time and then I got there but when I got there she had basically forgotten me right She asked me what I was doing there and she kind of ignored me. So that's what I called breaking my heart.
0: Okay. How has that broken your heart? So you've described to me things that you did and things that she did, but how does that result in your heart being broken?
3: Well, we were in a romantic relationship relationship, and she, well, betrayed my trust and kind of lied. So I, I, I called that breaking my heart. So.
0: And did you break her heart?
3: Um... Yeah, more than a couple of times.
0: Right. And so if you focus on your heart being broken rather than on your capacity to break her heart, which you said you did a couple of times, right? Then you're going to feel like a victim, right? And you're also not going to be able to control what happens in the future, right? Next time. Because you had these plans and... By gosh, she just betrayed you, and, and I, you said she forgot about you. I, I don't see how that's the case. So you said you were going to meet her somewhere, and then you went there, and she said, what are you doing here?
3: R- right. She had asked me to be there, and then she acted as if she had forgotten. So,
0: Right. So do you think she actually had forgotten? I mean, does she have some sort of brain injury where she can't remember things? Or... Some sort of memory issues.
3: <laughs>
0: another word. No, no, that no that's not... a that's a real question. I, I mean, it yeah, I, I yeah, sounds sure. sarcastic, but you know, people do get oh, head yeah. injuries.
3: Yeah, I get it. But well, maybe it's another word that I got wrong. Okay, so quite forgetting it's it's a voluntary rejection, right? Because when I wasn't close to her, she was needy, so she needed me close to her. That's why she missed me beforehand. I wasn't close, so she just satisfied her needs with other people. And then when I got there, after some weeks, she just rejected me because she didn't need me anymore.
0: Right. So you chose the wrong woman. Yep. So why are you playing the victim with me? Well,
3: okay, so... I wonder who I am going to be angry at and right now I don't see much of a way of being angry at her for example and not her father without recognizing that I was a victim. I
0: also No 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 you've you've already expressed express anger hang on, sorry, you've already expressed anger towards her. Right? She betrayed me, she broke my heart, right? That that's a statement of anger towards her. I mean, yeah. you've, you've spoken negatively, considerably negatively about her personality, right? Like, she needs people, and if she, you know, once I was not around, she just latched onto someone else, and then she didn't need me anymore. Like, that's, that's pretty damning, right? Right. So, I suppose I'm... So you, you're angry at her, for sure. I understand that. And that anger will wreck your life. N- not because anger is unhealthy. Anger is perfectly healthy. But she's not the cause of your problems. She's a symptom. She's not the cause. Right? The question is, who trained you to have really bad judgment with regards to someone you were going to get involved with? Who trained you to judge women very poorly?
3: Not exactly a new listener. I have some ideas.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm I'm all ears. I mean, this is why we're going relatively fast, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So right. when you're particularly when you're 17, right? When some when you're 17, with all due respect, I mean, you need some protection because there are dangerous people in the world who will take advantage of and hurt young people, right? You know, my daughter is still quite a ways off from this, but, you know, when she gets older, um, you know, there are going to be men out there in the world who are going to uh, treat her badly. And it's kind of my job to, at least, you know, until she gets into her 20s, in which case, hopefully, the lessons have already taken, but it's kind of my job to treat her well so that she gets used to being treated well so that when someone treats her badly, she shies away from it, and, you know, she will probably boy crazy about some guy who's maybe very handsome or whatever, or very charismatic, but isn't necessarily a good person, then then it's my sort of job to keep an eye out and, you know, point out any issues that he may have, and, and, you know, maybe point her towards a better guy. You know, these are all part of the patriarchy, right? It's part of the patriarchy, and the matriarchy of course to a large degree as well. So how the hell did you get involved in such a dysfunctional relationship while you were still legally a child? Well, that's on your parents, right? Yeah. So... Tell me about your mom, because that to me is where the source of the problem is, probably. It could be your dad, but I mean I'd start with your mom.
3: Right. My father died when I was five years old, I think. So that might be important to know. Okay. Well, um, where to start with my mother? She um she's an alcoholic. And she abandoned me with my brother. He's four or five years old now, and uh, she abandoned me with him several times for weeks to go out there and and drink, right? And she neglected me emotionally and socially. I grew up in front of a computer. The games were were my structure in life. They were what gave me meaning. Still kind of addicted to them because of that, right? She she couldn't bother to to listen to me. I noticed that this, during the, the process of this year, right, since I'm, I'm about to be 19 now, and I uh, talked to her, I tried to talk to her a couple of times about this. One time, she was particularly displeased because I didn't talk to her. I talked to other people, and she started crying. It was about the only time when... She became emotional, and she was saying to me that she was sorry for those things,
1: hmm.
3: and she hugged me. But it was um, it was manipulation. And the next day, she she had forgotten. She was blaming me all over again. I tried to. Well, talk it's to certainly her twice. it's
0: it's tragically true that people who do a lot of harm to others are very often easily overwhelmed with self pity. Yeah. All right. So, so but sorry. So go ahead. So the next day she was sort of back to blaming you.
3: Um, um she she actually hit me physically. I mean uh yeah, she was the a, a big piece of wood and threat, threatened me with it. Um so uh I I was stuck with her in the house, so I I asked publicly for for help and she really got desperate when I did that. The other times I uh, once I, I talked to her and we had kind of a decent conversation, I suppose, and she recognized some of the things that she did wrong in that conversation. And then I offered her to do online therapy. I think it would be good for her. And she accepted it, but she thought it was for free. When I said to her that, well, she would have to pay for it. She said, no, no, let's do this later. And she hasn't done it even now. Right. So I, I tried. Right. And um if she said, sorry, she continued with the same behavior. In fact, she kind of got worse because as I started deeply uh, rejecting her in some sense and not lying to her and not not being a victim, as I started to push back, she became more and more and more angry and violent at me, um, verbally, sometimes physically. Right? And now she left... Uh, Home. She's living in some other place and I'm living alone right now. One of the reasons for that is that is that I suppose I'm I'm kind of unbearable to live with because of what I learned. Maybe that's the case. Hmm. So well that's what I can think of to have a specific question.
0: Why are you unbearable to live with? I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Did you hear me?
3: I'm always afraid that it's on my side. Can you hear me?
0: Um, I, yeah, I can. Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me at all?
3: Uh, yeah, I can now.
0: Okay. Sorry. What? Um, why are you unbearable to live with?
3: Okay. So well. Because well, when she disrespects me in some sense, for example, we have to live together in the same house, and that brings conflict. For example, I want to read, and she wants to listen to music. So who's going to who's gonna win in this sort of confrontation? As a teen, of course, I, I would just uh, isolate myself in the room or get out, but eventually I, I started to push back against that, and that became quite unpleasant. Uh, she also was beaten violent, violently as a child by her brothers, which are all older, and maybe I'm speculating here. Maybe I remind her of them in some sense, right? So maybe she's hostile to me. Maybe it has something to do with, with that. That's what I can think of.
0: Right. Now, I'm sorry, I, I thought your mom had moved away, but you're also, you're living with her at the moment. Is that right?
3: Uh, no, she has moved away very recently, this week, actually.
0: Ah, okay. So, and you're living on your own and you have a job. Is, is that right?
3: Uh, no, nope, no, nope. um, I didn't finish high school yet. Actually I am studying and I, I have money. I, I kind of depend on her in this sense, but, uh, I admin, what's the word? Well, I kind of take care of my own finances, but the money comes from her. So while
0: I'm okay. studying. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. So, the odds of you being able to get into a healthy relationship with a woman at the age of 17 would be virtually zero, right? I mean, they would, I think, effectively be zero, right?
3: Well, uh, back then, certainly.
0: Right. So did your mother ever meet her? Uh, yes. And what did your mother think of her?
3: Um, She thought that she was... She said that she seemed to have some sort of psychological problem she seemed depressed or sad to her right right um well she it, that was a very strange situation she she was actually in a hurry my my ex at the time she didn't want to talk but, well besides that my mother was 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 fine with
0: the girl well but your mother your mother thought that she she had psychological issues this girl right And did your mother have many conversations with you about your dating, or was it kind of just that one time?
3: Um, Well, she said a few words, like, (laughs) not conversations, just uh, be careful what you do with her, because, you know, she is afraid that I would get someone pregnant, for example, right? That sort of stuff. Not conversation, just warnings for the most obvious kind of problems.
0: Right, okay. Right. So I'm very sorry, of course, about your father and, and his death when you were five. Very, very sorry about that. Um, your mother being an alcoholic and a victim of child abuse who resisted treatment makes things extraordinarily difficult for you, without a doubt. And there's no chance that this relationship could, uh, could have worked. No chance. And it's not because you're bad. It's not because the girl was bad. It's because you were raised very, very badly, right? Yeah. So there is no paradise back there that you missed. Because the question I always ask myself is, okay, well, why are you... I won't say hung up because that's kind of disrespectful, but that's sort of the colloquial phrase. But why are you still focused on this relationship? Because you have a belief about this relationship, and we tend to get stuck in relationships where we have not learned the truth about those relationships, right? So, I mean, to to take a, a, a very extreme example that is just used for illustrative purposes, if someone you love goes missing then you'll go look for them, you'll search for them, you'll you'll put out ads, you'll take out ads in the newspaper or, or online or, or something, right? You'll, you'll try and find them. Now, if their body turns up dead, you'll stop doing all of that, right? The relationship will have reached its closure because you now have the facts and there will be no advert advertising that will bring her back, right? There's no reward money that's going to bring her back because she's dead or he's dead, right? Now, when we end up in relationships with people who torture us after the fact, it's because we have not understood something foundational about that relationship. And the reason we keep going back to that relationship in our minds is because the lesson has not been learned and we're not safe until it has been learned. We're not safe until it has been learned. So the question is, for me, and I think for you, what have you not learned about your relationship when you were 17 that you think about it still to this degree? And this is no criticism. You know, it, It's perfectly natural for you to think about a relationship that remains unresolved. There's a lesson in there that someone in your life does not want you to learn. You want to learn the lesson that keeps you safe, but there's someone in your life, I would guess it's your mom, not to um, spoil things too much, but there's someone in your life who does not want you to learn the lesson of this relationship. So the first question we have to ask is not who that person is, but what is the lesson of this relationship? And if there are thoughts that you have, I'm certainly happy to hear them. I'm certainly happy mm-hmm. to share mine, but uh, I think that's the essential question.
3: Yeah. So back then, to recover myself, I I listened to a bunch of, of columns and I read "Real Time Relationships," lovely book, by the way, wonderful. And I and I read uh, the work, some of the books from uh, Brandon, right, Nathaniel Brandon, and uh, I thought about this, and what I learned was, well, it's funny, right. Back then, I was reading Twelve Rules for Life by from Jordan Peterson, and Rule Eight is "Tell the truth, or at least don't lie." And I used. to sorry. Tell the truth or what? Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. That's one of the rules from the book. And I used to talk to her about this rule. Right, you shouldn't lie to people because reasons. But I was lying, of course. I was lying to her, and I was lying
0: to myself. You were lying to this girl.
3: Well, um, yeah. I mean, I. I wasn't in love in love with her. Deep down I kinda knew that. And I was lying to myself and I was lying to her as well. Right. It's right. part of the heartbreak that I caused her as well.
0: So All right. I, I, So uh, why were you lying?
3: Yeah, that's the interesting part. Right. Not why sure. were you lying?
0: I'm not sure. I just want to make sure you heard me. Can you hear me? I guess we'll just have to wait for Discord to reconnect us.
3: Okay. Uh, time to can you hear me? Probably yes. You can hear me now? Yeah.
0: All right. So. Why were you lying to her?
3: Well, she, she was my first and she was... um. She wasn't bad looking by any means. It was nice to be with her. It was nice to have her around. If she needed me for some reason, if she was attracted to me, God knows why, then uh, I would stay around her. Uh, I liked myself too. Right. For some reason, I couldn't bear to be alone.
0: Well, okay. Yeah, go ahead.
3: Maybe, Maybe I still don't. Right. it's like very soon in the relationship I noticed deep down also that I got addicted and I knew from the first time I broke up with her that I would have a lot of difficulty forgetting her because I really couldn't be alone I really wanted to have her around
0: I mean that's all I can think of Okay. All right. Now I'm just curious because I can't get your facial expressions. I don't even know what you look like, but your voice is very unemotional and I'm having trouble connecting with this conversation because it feels like you're reading to me off like a laundry list or a list of things you need to pick up at the store. And because you seem kind of listless and unemotional, I'm having trouble understanding the importance of this conversation to you. So I'm having trouble bringing my A-game to the conversation because I think only one of us... It feels to me like only one of us is kind of caring about what's being talked about here. So I just don't know what you feel.
3: Okay. This is time for a real-time relationship, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, my inner experience is that I am in the conversation, and I really care about this. And I, I can tell you that. That's the truth, right? And uh, because... I suffered a lot back then, and I still am. This thing is stuck in my mind. And I want to get rid of it. I'm tired of it. So uh, this is quite the moment for me. But
0: I I, I I can't do much about this. voice. I'm finding myself getting a little bit bored and annoyed, and this is not any criticism of you. I just can't figure out where to go because I don't have any guidance from your emotions. So if you care, and and I will take that at face value and I will continue to work, but I feel like I'm playing tennis alone, so to speak, because you've mm-hmm. had the same tone throughout the entire conversation, so I don't know what's more important to you or less important to you.
3: Weird, I really have no idea what that means for me,
0: but... What do you mean?
3: Well, it's like, um, it's not like I'm trying to hide my emotions. I mean, if if anything, the opposite. That's not the impression that I want to cause, so I don't
0: know. Okay, so you're feeling strongly, but it's not coming through to me through what you're saying, right? Yeah. Let me just uh, – this is the good thing about having our friendly Discord server here. Let me just uh, dip over to the um, the server, and uh, is it just me? It could be me, obviously. Uh, do, do other people – then feel free to unmute yourself here if you want to talk about it, but – do other people uh, are they picking up on something that I'm not, which certainly could be the case about uh, emotions or or intensity or passions?
1: Well, I don't have anything other I don't have anything too much to add here, but um I would definitely say that I was starting to not really lose focus. I was actually starting to fall
0: asleep almost. Um, it's a, it's not, a tough conversation to navigate, I think.
1: Yeah, and people also in the chat are. So um, some people have spoken with him uh, before. Um, said that he sounds like this a lot. Uh, some people say that he sounds dissociated. So you know, maybe sad. Not really sure about the, the emotional connection. Um, other people say uh, they, they they are picking up on what you're feeling as well, and they don't also get a lot of emotion coming from our caller either um if anyone else wants to unmute and speak up go right ahead
3: yeah um honestly I've, I've talked to him a few times and this is usually just how he sounds he's he's a relatively monotone individual this isn't a slight against him like we all have our little quirks and how we talk and it is what it is but this is just usually how he talks he's kind of monotone but I, I don't really get the sense of uh dissociation from it i think it's probably because i've talked to him a few times that i don't really get that sense but this yeah
0: No, i appreciate that is anybody i don't want to jump off uh, if anybody else wants to to add in but i can see the comments here in the chat window but
3: I've, i've spoken
1: with mr a and we've actually done some internal family systems partner work and uh i can say that yeah there's there's protectors in front that you know he's he's guarded, and this is coming from someone who you talked to in March, who was the same way. So okay, be, okay, I can understand where he would be. It would be difficult for him to open up. So
0: okay, okay, good, and and I appreciate that feedback, and uh, thanks thanks for that, because I obviously I always want to do a really great job, but I do find when and normally when I'm connected with someone the next, it's sort of like I'm, I'm jumping across a lake, but the stepping stone appears and I know where to go, but I'm not sure with this one. And I think that's because there's a lot of contradictory information, right? So I I think, let's go back to what you said about Anna, right? Because earlier you were saying, you know, she broke your heart and, and it was a very bad situation and so on. And then... I I think, I think you know what it is. I think it's the shift in information without, yeah, okay, this is what it is. It's the shift in information without it being conscious. So, so you tell me the story about this, this girl, she broke your heart and so on. And then you talk about, well, yes, but she was dysfunctional. And yes, I was suicidal afterwards and all of this kind of stuff, right? And so if, and then I talk about how, well, you you don't necessarily want to describe it as, you know, she broke my heart and so on. And then you will say, well, yes, but I broke her heart a bunch of times as well and, 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 and so on, right? So I feel that, or my experience is that, the information is kind of fluidly changing without conscious description of the change. And that always feels manipulative. And by that, I don't mean you are manipulating me. I mean... That manipulation is occurring, which is sort of a different, I don't think you're consciously manipulating me. But it's sort of like if I say, we, we really have to head north. And then you say, we need to head south. And I say, yeah, south that would be kind of odd because i would be going from north to south without saying oh did i say north sorry i meant to say south or is it really south let me check oh you're right it is south right so that's a change in information with a conscious description of that change but when you go from she broke my heart i was really sad i was you know and 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 she's a bad person to I broke her heart but I'm not angry at her like there's a lot of information that's changing or reversing or shifting but there's no reference to the prior statements I'm the one who's trying to draw these threads to the prior statements and again this is no criticism right I'm just sort of pointing it out right now if you if something new comes along like I give you the speech about how you you know really want to talk about your your heart was broken and all that kind of stuff right because that's, you know, kind of putting you in the victim category, and it's it's saying that there was this wonderful thing here that was lost, or so this woman rejected you because you were not enough, or something like that. I give you this big speech about that, and it doesn't really change anything with regards to our conversation. You don't agree, you don't disagree, we just kind of trundle along. And so I think this scatteredness of the conversation and the fact that if information changes, like, I don't know whether my conversation is having any effect on you at all. And and it's not the emotion side. Maybe that was a bit of a red herring. It's more because there's no, oh, yeah, you know, I did talk about her breaking my heart. But, I, you know, to be fair, I did also break her heart. So I didn't really give you the full picture there, right? First thing I heard was she broke my heart. And then after I probe for a while, I find out that you broke her heart as well. But there's no sense of, yeah, you know, I didn't give you the full picture. Let me tell you. Right? It's just, well, she broke my heart, blah, 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 blah. Well, I broke her heart, blah, 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 blah. You know, But there's no um, circling back to the earlier parts of the conversation and providing more detail or an acknowledgement that some of the new information contradicts what occurred before or what occurred before she broke my heart was such an incomplete statement that it was more misleading than illuminating. And I think, I think that's the issue, and I think that arises from being severely criticized. Ah, that's it. This arises from being severely criticized. It's not being able to admit, I don't want to say fault or anything like that, but did, did you have that? I mean, this is a hypothesis, right, a conjecture, I suppose. Did you have that when you were growing up? So what happened with your mother when you would admit fault? You'd made a mistake, you'd been incomplete, you hadn't given the right information, you'd changed your mind. What happened with your mother when you admitted fault as a child and growing up?
3: When I admitted fault? I don't remember ever doing that right now. Oh, by the way... You
0: don't remember admitting fault? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's important, right? So why well, we all we all make mistakes, right? I mean, we all have we all change our mind. We all change our. I mean, you've heard me do this on, you know, I'll I'll come up with a, a, a thought about something with the conversation with someone, and they'll say, no, that's not the case. And I say, oh, I'm sorry. Like, like let's back off, or or I make a mistake and and misinterpret something or whatever, and I have to apologize or whatever, right? So we we all make mistakes. We all have corrections that we need to make in conversations, right? Yeah. Sure, sure, I mean, so why wouldn't you okay, let's go back further did you do you remember your mother correcting herself with you or saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, or no, that was not quite enough information, or let me expand upon that or did did your mother apologize to you or correct herself with you?
3: I also don't remember that happening, I remember. Me noticing that she didn't, Uh, for for a long time, she blamed me for for breaking a machine that that washes clothes, but it wasn't me, it was rats. And she told me that, and she, well, she was wrong, and she screamed at me because of it, but but she didn't admit fault. Okay, sorry,
0: hang on, hang on. So there was a machine that washed clothes, she thought you broke it, but it was rats, and then she did apologize or didn't apologize?
3: She didn't, and I noticed that consciously.
0: Right. So she could not admit fault. Hello? Oh, did we lose you again? Let me know when I'm back. Hello, hello? Oh, Step,
3: you're still here, Mr. A's, the one that's gone. Yeah, huh? I'm right here. Oh, yeah. We're back. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, my internet is rock solid. I just did a whole interview, so okay. So your mother could not admit fault.
3: Uh, I okay, it's working. I, I don't remember the situation, but I remember the way she would do that in a very reluctant manner and, and and short, right, as short as possible, trying to avoid the the act of apologizing.
0: Okay, and and then it would be like sorry, you know, or I, I guess I'm sorry, or I'm or it's the weasel apology, the bean app I call it, the bullshit non apology, where it's like, well, I'm sorry if you were upset, or I'm sorry if that bothered you, or I'm sorry if. If uh, I obs- upset, uh, offended you, or like it, it's it's putting the onus on you. It's putting the responsibility on you, right? Um,
3: it's like, yeah, I was wrong. Sorry about that, and that's it. Nothing more.
0: Right, and the sorry is vaguely aggressive. Like, fine, I'll admit that I'm wrong. Sorry, you know.
3: Yeah, pretty much.
0: Right. Yeah, like I mentioned this on the show years ago. I think I, I just popped into my head with regards to admitting fault. My mother. she had a vacuum cleaner. And she couldn't find it. Now, we lived in a pretty small apartment, so it wasn't like there was a whole lot of places to look, right? But my mother was absolutely convinced, absolutely convinced that one of my 11 or 12-year-old friends had stolen her vacuum cleaner. Can you imagine such a thing? And I was, and and she was demanding, demanding that I go and interrogate my friends to find out which one of them had stolen the vacuum cleaner. And this went on for like a week. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was starting to hit puberty at this point. So part of me was like, you know, screw you, which I am not doing that. And I said that, I said, I'm not doing that. Now she'd get really angry, but she, you know, I was too big for her to beat up at this point. Right. And so I, I you know, I just held my ground i'm like i'm not my of course, my friends did not i'm not I'm not even gonna ask them, of course, my friends did not steal your stupid vacuum cleaner. You think that's what twelve year old boys are really into is stealing ratty old appliances from broken down apartments? I don't think so. I am not doing that, and she would just go on and on and on, my friends were thieves and just just end and endless end us, endless us, end us, right anyway, so after about a week, knock on the door, and a friend of hers from one of the floors below ours—we lived on the fifth floor—a friend of hers from one of the below floors said, "Hey, thanks for the vacuum cleaner. I don't—I've—I've used it. I don't need it. I got—I got one." Now, did my mother sit there and say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I screamed at you for a week straight about your?" crazy friends stealing my vacuum cleaner when I had, in fact, lent it to someone and forgotten about it. No, nothing. No acknowledgement, no apology, no nothing. In fact, and if I had brought it up and said, hey, you owe me an apology here. You just put me through hell for a week, barely got any sleep, and it was your fault all along. I mean, you got to take your little victories where you can, right? Because there would be no... I mean, that would just escalate from there and then I'd end up with more problems, right? So I'm aware of the kind of mothers who just can't admit they're wrong or can't admit that something could have been better. Is that a fair description of of how your mom was or is?
3: As I think more about this, more more things start coming to mind. Her, Go for it. It was, I don't think it was annoyed as much as it was reluctant in the sense that she didn't want to apologize, but at the same time, she was guilty for that. So it's like a quick, kind of sincere, but not so much apology. Like uh, she, she, she's afraid of doing it, but deep down she knows that she should. That's the impression that I got
0: screwed up people will make your life hell when you apologize it's one of the ways that they destroy relationships is they simply refuse well they will accept an apology and then they will use it against you which is why people tend to be so reluctant to apologize right so if I had said sorry to my mom for something then For the rest of eternity, I would be, oh, oh," like that time when you had to apologize for this, right? And it it would just be used against me forever. So I'm like, screw you, I'm not going to apologize. First of all, you have a lot to apologize to me for, not me to you, because you're the mom and I'm the kid, A. And B, in this family, if you show any apology, remorse, regret, it will simply be used as a weapon against you to win stupid battles From now until the end of time. So that's very important. And now you're stuck in this idea of vengeance, right? You want revenge against this girl's father, right? Oh, no, are we off again? My God, what the hell's going on with this internet today? Are we yeah, back? we're back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, other people are hearing me fine, so I think it's at your end. Well, it's not much we can do about it. We'll just have to struggle through. Right? So you have a desire for vengeance against this your ex-girlfriend's father. And a desire for vengeance is very interesting because vengeance is what happens when the other person does not apologize right so well,
2: i think a lack, of,
0: a, lack of, a lack of apology is pretty key here. So you give me contradictory information, which I point out, and you don't say, oh, you know, sorry, that was incomplete, or I guess that was confusing, or like you just go with the new thing without apologizing or even correcting. Or I don't, not, not like there's some big apology I need from this, but just at least an acknowledgement that that information has shifted, right? So you are creating in me something which ends up with me being kind of alienated and frustrated. Because there's no correction. Correction is probably better than apology, right? There's no conscious correction of the flow of information when it changes. Now, you're still angry at your ex-girlfriend for ignoring you when she invited you over or asked you to come somewhere and then pretended that she didn't or didn't know why you were there. And so that's it. You see, your ex-girlfriend also... Changed information without acknowledging it or apologizing. So she says, come over or come here. You go there and she says, what the hell are you doing here? In other words, that's a change in the flow of information without acknowledgement of it. Like, oh, I, I know I asked you to come over here, but blah, 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 right? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So the father hasn't apologized. The girlfriend hasn't apologized. Your mother hasn't apologized or corrected, and you haven't apologized or corrected in this conversation. So there's our theme, right?
3: Mm-hmm. It's kind of unconscious from from my side. I'm, totally. Absolutely. we going yeah, to have to listen back and, and, and see.
0: There's no criticism here at all. No, I'm not mad at you. Like it, There's it, no, you know. I was frustrated because I couldn't figure out the pattern. But the pattern is if you can't consciously correct or, or if you can't consciously acknowledge a change in information, then you can't trust yourself in a relationship. Right? Yes. You know, if because if, 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 you, if you create this whirlwind of information that changes without you being conscious of it, the only person who would be comfortable with that is somebody who's kind of fragmented already. Because somebody who's whole and who's looking for consistency and understanding will get very annoyed at this unacknowledged changes in facts or information and will simply withdraw. I mean, they may confront you, uh, who knows, right? But probably they will just withdraw and say, oh, forget, this. too complicated, right? I don't know which way is up. Because presenting contradictory information to someone else is a way of trying to break them. It's a, it's, a, it's a, or rather, it's a way of testing whether they are already broken. Because when you present contradictory information to people, if they are broken, they'll just kind of go with the flow and and they won't say anything and they won't mention it and right they'll just and and but there's no connection there, right? Then then you're with somebody who can't be trusted. Now, if you're with somebody who's more integrated, who's more consistent and recognizes that there are changes in information, then they will point it out. Now, if you're unconscious of all of this, then you will be genuinely confused as to why they're pointing something out that wasn't even an issue, and then that brokenness will transmit to them and they will probably withdraw. So I bet you what happened with the ex-girlfriend, when you were 17, you had this exchange of broken information without it being conscious, and then you thought, oh, well, we're perfect for each other, because neither of us is aware of the flow of broken information or contradictory information. And then what ended it for you was contradictory information. I want you to come over, says Anna. And you say, great, I'm coming over. You go there, and she's like, what are you doing here? You see? Unacknowledged contradictory information. I think that's the pattern. That's at the root of this stuff.
3: Huh, this. I expected this call to be something like cleaning a little hole that I found under a basement. It's not a hole. It's a. It's not just a hole. It's a cave, full of full of giant rats, I suppose, or ghosts. Things that I had no idea are here. Things that are going I, to yeah. And the the I'll just just tell things. you.
0: Thank you. At, at a personal level, I really, 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 really dislike people. Not you. Not you. I'm not talking about you. But I really, really dislike. I'm thinking of your mom here. I really, really dislike people who can't admit that they're wrong and don't apologize. Now, I get it. I sympathize your mother was beaten uh, as a child and, and yeah, but so what? Yeah, Everybody grows up and everybody has adult responsibilities. And if your mother was aware enough to know of the damage that being beaten gave her or inflicted upon her, then she was damn well responsible for fixing it and not letting it ruin or try to ruin your life. But the people who can't Admit that they're wrong. People who can't acknowledge that information has changed, they're maddening. And again, I'm not putting you in this category because you're coming here talking about this stuff. But if you want to know who you're really mad at, you're really mad at the insecurity and betrayal of your mother who was willing to shatter your sense of reality in order to maintain her own sense of rightness, of, of self-righteousness. Because it's not a big deal. I mean, if you're around healthy people, it's not a big deal to be wrong. It's not a big deal at all. You say, oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Or, oh, you know what? You're right, you did say that. My my apologies, right? I say that, my wife says that, my daughter says that, it's not a big deal. We acknowledge it and, right, perfectly fine. But people get into these stupid, endless death battles over inconsequential stuff. My mother could not figure out where her stupid vacuum cleaner had gone. Now, she could not criticize herself she could not sit there and say oh gosh what on earth happened to this vacuum cleaner well first of all this is the kind of homemaker that she was that we had a pretty small apartment and she still couldn't figure out where the apartment where the vacuum cleaner was because she hadn't used it in so long and so what happened was she had a ru- i know i mean emotionally it's I'm sure it's the same with your mom my mother had a rush of panic oh my god The vacuum cleaner is missing. And her own inner mother, father, bully, whatever, arose within her and was about to shred her, rend her limb from limb, right? And she's like, holy shit. That is one big fucking scary monster who's about to fuck me up because I can't find the vacuum cleaner. So I know I'm going to blame my little boy. I'm going to blame my son. (gasps) Put the rats on Julia's head, not me. I'll blame my son. And I'll throw my son, my 12-year-old boy, I will throw my son to the monster so the monster doesn't eat me. And That's the the level of panic that she had. Like there's an old Seinfeld where there's a a fire in a daycare or something and and George knocks over old women and children to get out to save himself, right? And that's contemptible, right? And it's the joke is like how contemptible a human being do you have to be to do that, right? Now, how much panic did my mother have because she couldn't find the vacuum cleaner, and if she had said, "I've lost the vacuum cleaner," then someone in her own mind was going to destroy her. And so she's like, "It, it, it's the kid's fault. It's, it's, it's Steph's fault. He, 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 he did it. His, his friends stole it. Don't, don't, don't blame me. Right? That, that's what goes on right now. Part of that has to do with her own childhood. Ha <laughs> ha. But. Part of it has to do with her adulthood and her own parenting as well. Because, as I've mentioned before, when I would make a mistake, my mother would beat me half senseless, right? I mean, the famous story I've mentioned a bunch of times before, of putting the cup of water on the nightstand where it left, or the cabinet, it left a little white ring. And... Like my mother beat me half to death about that. And so it wasn't just what had happened to her. It's what she had enacted. She was no longer the victim in her own mind. She was both the victim and the abuser. And so she couldn't let me be in the right for fear that I would do to her what she had done to me in the past. Now that I'm bigger, right? But the panic, the, the, the terror that grips people when they're in the wrong is awful. And it's so destructive. It's so destructive. Now, if you understand that terror of just being wrong, the terror of having made a mistake, the terror of having to acknowledge that something has changed, that that fault could be assigned. Because you said to me, she broke my heart, and then a few minutes later you basically said, she didn't break my heart, I broke her heart. Or it wasn't really that good a relationship, or she wasn't a good girlfriend, or it wouldn't have worked out well. Or, like you gave me a whole bunch of contradictory information with no Bridges between them. No acknowledgement of this different information. And in so doing, you were communicating to me your experience of life because you were putting me in the situation that you experienced with your mother as a child. You were having me empathize with you Recreating your childhood emotional experiences in me by giving me contradictory information with no joining together of that disparate information. Fragmented, contradictory, confusing, numbing, alienating, dissociating. That was your experience as a child. Tell me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm certainly happy to be corrected.
3: Well... I suppose I was thinking that I broke her heart but she also broke mine I don't see the contradiction here but the rest I get it and I'm suppose I'm only gonna understand this later when i
0: no no but i asked you home. I asked you if there was any possibility of a healthy relationship right and you said do you remember I said no no it was toxic right mm-hmm So how can a dysfunctional and toxic relationship ending break your heart?
3: That's a very good question.
0: But that's what I'm talking about. And if I hadn't asked, did you break her heart, would you have made that clear to me? Because you didn't say, well, we both broke each other's hearts, or we both felt sad because we had an illusion that this toxic relationship could be healthy.
3: I um, I was aware of that, and I said because you asked because it was relevant at the moment.
0: But let's get back to you and your mom. Your mom didn't admit fault, didn't apologize, or would do it very grudgingly and briefly, right? Yeah,
3: that's uh, that's exactly it.
0: And I said earlier that if you can't admit fault, you can't have a healthy relationship, fundamentally because here's the thing. Let me put out a guess or two here. You met this woman, you met Anna, you found her very attractive. She may have had some charisma, she was pretty, whatever, good language skills, whoever, right? So she's attractive, right? Then you start getting to know her, you start to getting to know her family, you date her a little. And warning signs come up, right? The red flags come up. They always do. right? They always do. Now, if you can't admit fault, you can't say, I'm wrong to be attracted to her. There's too many red flags because you can't admit fault. And so you just plunge blindly on. Keep going, keep going until... Right? Everything blows up. It's sort of like... Ah, if you're showing off, and I don't know, you're skiing or skateboarding or something like that, and you say, "Oh yeah, I, I, can, I can handle this hill." Oh, I can do dum- I can do diamonds. No problem. And somebody's like, okay, well, let's go do a diamond then. Well, if you can't admit, like, let's say you're not a very good skier, right? But you're just showing, oh, you're you're pretending to be better than you are, right? Now, if you can admit that you're at fault, if you can admit that you're wrong, then you'd say, actually, you know what? I really, I'm a bit overconfident here. I don't really think I can handle (laughs) this diamond. It looks pretty damn steep, so... Pardon me for, you know, speaking out of turn or, or bragging a little, but you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna safety first, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna go down a, a square or like the easier hills or whatever, right? Did you see what I mean? If you can admit fault, then you can stay safe. But but if you say, oh, I could totally handle these steep hills, I can handle the diamond hill. Then people say, oh, great, let's all go down the diamond hill. Now, you can't admit fault. You can't admit that you spoke out of turn. You can't admit that you're showing off a little bit. You can't admit that you were bragging a little. So what do you do? You go down the diamond and you crash. Right? Admitting fault keeps you safe. Refusal to admit fault. You're heading to a crash. And it's probably happened to your mom or it's going to happen to your mom. But if you remember that ski hill. Oh, I could do this. I'm a good skier. I can handle this, right? People first of all, people don't really care whether you're a good or bad skier, but if you can't say, Ah, you know what? I was overconfident. I, I don't think I can handle this hill, right? Well, you're gonna crash. So you get involved with a woman, you say, Ah, this is the woman for me. The one I just this is the woman who's gonna take care of me, this is the woman so it's gonna be great, this is the woman I want, this is great. Then the red flags come up. Like you're looking down the top of that ski hill, you're like, "Holy shit, this is steeper than I thought." Ooh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeek. That's the moment. Can you admit that? Hey, you know what? I can't. I can't do this hill. No way. I, I, it's not safe. And you back up the hill, right? <laughs> I was. Now, this wasn't an overconfidence thing, but it's just like a funny little thing that happened once with my daughter. I'm not a bad skier. I can do. I can't do a double diamond. I can do a diamond pretty comfortably. Um, so I'm slightly above average, but not particularly great, but what I can never do, what I can't, and I I don't mind any particular kind of speed. I'm fine with it. But what I can't do is moguls. I can't do moguls. In fact, to me, moguls are like, why would you, on earth would you drive a car with nothing but speed bumps around? Like that's, I don't know, it's a skilled thing and all of that. And I just, I don't, I don't get moguls. I don't do moguls. And my daughter, uh, this is about two years ago, I think my daughter was, we were at the top of a hill. There's a bunch of moguls and she's like, I want to try them. And I'm like, mm, you know, it's they're tough, <laughs> you know, they're really Moguls are like these. Uh, think of giant cobblestones, like these little hills, and you just got to kind of dart in between them, and you got to be really flexible and turn like crazy. You know, it's, it's really nutty. I'm, I'm just like, get me to the top of the hill, bottom of the hill as fast as I can, be great, right? So I'm like, and she's like, you want to come? I'm like, no, but I will, because you know, my daughter, and and I, I, mean, I, I'll give them, I'll give it a try, <laughs> but I'm not particularly good at moguls, and I don't like them very much. But anyway, so. Uh, long, long story short, we both wiped out pretty, pretty quickly. Right. <laughs> but it was so icy and so steep. We could not get up. Like we, even when we, we just took off our skis and let them go down the hill. And we, we like, even with like digging our ski boots in, like we just couldn't, couldn't get up the hill. <laughs> I thought we were going to have to call for the ski patrol and we were like 30 or 35 feet from the top of the hill, but it was just so steep and so icy we couldn't get up. Now this wasn't, you know, me admitting fault. but I just, you know, uh, that sort of reminded me of, of this this idea that if you can't admit fault, you're in a huge amount of danger. Huge amount of danger. Because you are committed prior to information, and new information can't make you change your course. And this, this is dating, right? We all have this bit, man. We all. I think of a relationship I was in for a long time, and it was like the fifth date, she got upset at something I said and, and, and ran out. Uh, of, of this is a, a room I shared. I, I shared a room with a guy. I'm still friends with him, actually. I shared a room with a guy when I was in college. This is how broke we were. Both lived in the same room. And she, she got up and she ran out. Now, that's a that's a red flag, right? That's a huge red flag. And I was older than you. A huge red flag. And, but I couldn't sit there. I found her attractive. She was smart. She was funny. She was pretty. She was talented. She was creative. And, but And I just couldn't sit there and say, oh, you know, this is not right. I, I oops, you know, whoopsie, whoopsie, right? I'm making a mistake. So forget the vengeance. What you need is the humility to look back at that relationship and say, I could not admit I was wrong. I could not admit, because, you know, you, you fell for her, you were attracted to her, you fell in love with her, you had sex with her or whatever happened, Right. And so once you were attracted, when the red flags came up, you couldn't turn back. Oh, I'm going down this hill. You get to the top of the hill like, holy shit, I can't do this. I'm going to go because I can't admit that I'm wrong and back out, right? Let me know if you can still hear me. I'm, I'm not sure where our connection status is at the moment.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit paranoid about that. But uh, yeah, it's going it's fine, uh, fine.
0: Does it make sense? Yes, yes,
3: yes, totally. It's Okay, so let let me see if I get this. There's this pattern of not being capable or being unwilling and not clear on that to admit fault. And this happened in my childhood, of course, because of my mother. It happened last year. It happened during the call. And it seemed that it is to some degree unconscious.
0: Is that it? Very unconscious, yeah. Listen your relationship with this woman when you were 17 with this girl was terrible it was a terrible dysfunctional destructive relationship it was never going to lead to anything but a worse place than where it end, where it was right you're mad at the dad for breaking this up i'm telling you as a father i would have done the same thing i would have broken you up if i could and when you get to be a father if your son is going to get inv- is seventeen and is getting get involved in a relationship that's this dysfunctional, do you know what you're going to do? What do you got?
3: Uh, connection failed. Can you get back like twenty seconds? Sorry about that.
0: If you are a father. 10, 20 years from now, you're a father and your 17-year-old son gets involved in a relationship this dysfunctional and this destructive. What are you going to do to that relationship if you could?
3: I would certainly not let that happen. Certainly not. You would
0: certainly break it up if father, you could, right? right?
3: hmm yeah.
0: Because the moment you say to me, oh man, when this girl, when this relationship ended with this girl, I got suicidal. Like, you you know that the only reason you and I are able to have this conversation is because the relationship with the girl didn't go on long enough for you to actually kill yourself.
3: That's quite something.
0: That is, I guarantee you, that is the case. You're only alive because the dad broke up this relationship that was dragging you both down. I mean... This may shock you, but I'm on his side. I'm with him 100% because I care about you and I want you to be alive. And if you were merely suicidal but didn't kill yourself, after how long were you with this girl for? Six months. Six months. Another six months, you would have actually died. You actually would have killed yourself. So he... You know what that bastard did? He fucking stole your ticket on the Titanic. So you couldn't even get on the Titanic. He stole your ticket to the Hindenburg. He kept you right off a plane that was going to disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. He saved your
3: fucking life. Man, I'm going to have to disagree with that. Please do. I'm happy
0: to be corrected. I don't (laughs) mind if I'm
3: wrong. Go for it. Well, because... So I, three reasons that I was so unstable back then, right? Because existential problems, my mom, and my uh, lack of capacity to be with her. So when he stopped the relationship, it created the sense of inevitability in me, and I wanted to be with her, but I couldn't, and this accelerated, accelerated the process. I'm not sure that if we were allowed to be together, what what would happen, but Maybe the same thing maybe sure I'll you, guess, no, so no you way, no
0: listen dude you absolutely know down in your heart of hearts you absolutely know what would happen if you guys had stayed together
3: I know what my plan was back then what was your plan well what I was saying to myself was this okay this girl is <laughs> back back to the beginning we can't be together right I'm not I'm not ready for this and she's is not so I can be with her. And I wasn't aware of my fault, so I was thinking about trying to change her. But I suppose that I wouldn't be able to because it's it's hard to change people. And then I would. My plan was I'm just going to leave her eventually. But but I want to at least be able to talk to her more. And that's exactly what the father did not allow to happen.
0: So after you broke up, he said that's yeah, stop talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah that's exactly right that's exactly what should happen when you break up with someone you should stop talking to them' I'm, I'm, what why would you why would you want to I mean you, you quit a job you don't keep showing up for lunch right
3: remember when I said I was kind of addicted
0: no I get that you were addicted that's why you were suicidal after you broke up but and and you know how you deal with an addiction you stop it how, how do you It's like saying, well, I want to quit smoking, but I still want to keep smoking. Well, I want to quit drinking, but I still want to keep drinking. Well, I want to break up with this girl, but I still want to be in communication with her. Nope. You break up, you break up. It's just dragging things out to an ungodly level. To keep hanging out, right? And it simply prevents you from moving on. It tortures yourself even more.
3: That's something very new to
0: me, as well. Huh. You want vengeance? You want vengeance on a guy who saved your ass and protected time his to daughter? Process this. No, listen. Can you imagine what kind of pressure? Like, imagine you have a girlfriend who says, "If you ever break up with me, I'm going to kill myself." What the fuck are you supposed to do with that?
3: That's a bomb that I don't want to try to disarm.
0: Yeah, but that was your experience, right? I don't know if you ever communicated that to her explicitly or implicitly or what, but that was your experience of the relationship. You broke up and you were suicidal, right?
3: So I, I don't want to admit the fault because the fault is on the father in my mind
0: the father did more to protect you than your own mother did. That's mind-blowing. Because you say you, you were addicted to the girl, right? Yep. Okay, so let's say that this wasn't a girl, but methamphetamines, right? Or heroin, right? Now let's say that you get addicted to meth. And let's say that someone finds a way to have you stop using meth is it better that they do it after 6 months or 12 months
3: 6 months the market right. the market the, the worse exactly it gets.
0: because the longer okay. you're addicted the longer you get what you're addicted to the worse it is right everybody can everybody's a lot easier to quit smoking after your first cigarette than after your 10,000th cigarette right So, the girl's dad cut off your addiction after only six months, and you think it would be better if he'd let you stay addicted longer, when even after six months he was suicidal after not getting your drug? You think it would be better after 12 months? Or two years? Or five years? Or if you have kids with her? He saved your ass, man! He cut off your drug
3: before it destroyed you. I'm sorry? I withdraw my disagreement.
0: Okay, good. Well, that's, 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 and listen, I mean, this is a long You're an experienced listener, but this is a hell of a long way to go in an hour and a half, right? Because you're like, I want vengeance against this guy. And they're like, wait, no, he saved my ass, right? Now, he may have done it badly, and I'm sure he did. And, and, right, so I'm not saying this guy is some great hero or whatever, but in terms of the practical consequences of what happened, You know, Gollum was a lot more under the power of the ring after a thousand years than six months, right?
3: have never watched the movies, but I um, i suppose that's the case.
0: I know, somebody just posted the GIF, so they popped it into my head. So, my precious, right? You should take good movies. But, um, yeah, I think he uh, he saved you. And let's say his daughter is this dysfunctional, right? That she says, Come on over, I'm desperate to see you. And then when you go over, she says, Why on earth are you here? Like there's two personalities that don't talk to each other or more, right? So let's say that he forbids you from seeing such a dangerous girl, right? Well, hasn't he done you a favor?
3: Well, it, it makes sense then that he didn't want the relationship to happen since the beginning. It of course it he didn't. It wasn't about me, it was about her.
0: Of course he didn't. Now, again, <clears throat> he probably handled it really badly. And there's a reason why his daughter was so messed up. So I'm not, again, I'm not claiming him to be any kind of enlightened hero. But, you know, my, my speech as a dad would be something like, hey, you know, I get you really like my daughter, and she likes you too, and there's a lot of great qualities about you. But I'm still responsible for her safety and her long-term happiness. And while you are a very smart guy and a great guy in many ways, you know, through no fault of your own, right, you you just happen to be raised by a destructive, abusive, drunken mom. And I have massive sympathy for that. I really, really do. And it doesn't mean you're going to have a bad life. But right now, you are not in a position where you can give my daughter any kind of consistent happiness. And again, not because you're a bad guy, not because you're doing anything wrong, not because you did anything wrong. It's just like, you know, I would say the same thing to a guy who grew up in Japan and didn't speak English and liked my daughter. Be like, well, she doesn't speak Japanese. You don't speak English, so this isn't going to work, right? Again, not because anybody's evil or anything. It just you don't speak the same language, and so you know, like I, you, you can't even stay friends because once you're attracted to someone, it's it's marriage or bust, right? You you either end up with them permanently or you got to stay away from them because otherwise, it's just torture, right? It just you know, then she starts dating. I mean, how would you have felt? You say, "Oh, if the if the dad allowed you to still hang around his daughter, right?" And then she starts dating someone new. Come on, that would have been horrible for you, right? Right. Torture. Torture. So, yeah, he probably didn't put it the right way. He was probably kind of abrupt and rough about it. But he was right. This was not healthy. And it was better to get you off that drug after six months than longer. Absolutely. I've been saved by rejection. I've been saved by rejection. I I won't get into any detail about this because this still should be about you, but I'm just sort really of telling you where this kind of stuff comes from in me. I got obsessed with an ex-girlfriend when I was much younger, and I tried just about everything to win her back. I wrote her epic poems. I recorded songs for her. I told her how sorry I was, uh, and I really, really wanted her back. And it was touch and go for a little while. She thought about it and so on. And this is when I was working up north, so I had a whole lot of time to be uh, addicted without a whole lot of, uh, or obsessed, right? Without a whole lot of interruptions from anything else. And, yeah, the the guys I were working up with, they knew all about this, because, you know, I'd be off there scribbling my epic poems of trying to get this woman back. And they would, you know, there's this old song, you're my obsession, you're my obsession. And they would sing this song and kind of make fun of me and you know all that was pretty serious very serious to me at the time anyway so long story short she ended up eventually saying no 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 and that was very painful to me I still remember exactly where I was when she sent the letters this is before email right she sent the letter I'd sent her a birthday card she wrote me back and she said listen I don't want to be in touch with you anymore painful and this went on for, I don't know, probably ooh, a couple of months at least. A couple of months. I know I was in one place, then another. So, yeah, probably four or five months. And she saved my ass by saying no to me. Because I really, really wanted to get back together with her. She said no. And you know what happened? I survived. That was the worst adult rejection that I had experienced. And I survived. Which meant that I knew that I could be really, really want something, desperately want something, not get it, and you move on. You're okay, right?
3: You move on because you learned the lessons.
0: You move on because you learned the lesson. Now, who put you more in danger, your mother or Anna's dad?
3: Uh, My mother.
0: Right. But like a good son, you get angry at the man, not the mom.
3: Right. Because she has big brothers and the whole town on the side of the woman.
0: Right, because it's a whole lot safer to get angry at a man you don't see than a mom you live with. Now, what your mom should have done is said something like, oh my gosh, what went wrong with your childhood that you ended up in this kind of situation? Let's sort it out. Let's go to therapy. Let's whatever, right? That would have been the right thing to do, right? Oh,
3: she she totally blamed the guy as well.
0: Of course. Of course. Like, he's the guy. He's the one who put you in danger when he's the one who got you out of danger with the least damage possible.
3: You know, when we when we get to the conclusion, I'm gonna ask how exactly uh, I should proceed to deal with these things, right? Yeah, listen.
0: But, I mean, I understand this, right? Sure. So, and, are people because, mad? At, um, are people uh, are people more mad at me in the media or mad at China? More mad at China? Oh, another great
3: example. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So lot. Look, it's a lot easier to get angry at a podcaster than it is at the largest totalitarian state in the world, right? And so for you, it's easier to get angry at this guy than your mom.
3: I was talking to someone yesterday from here. We were talking about people that are young, like my age, 17, 18. We still depend on our parents, but we listen to the podcast and we learn self-knowledge and we find out these things that... Our parents did but we're still stuck with them so
0: well no we then, this is why back, sorry so. sorry to interrupt but this is why i don't talk to people who aren't adults right you're 19 right so because mm-hmm. i get i get emails from people who are like hey i'm i'm 17 you know and i'm like you know like i'm really sorry you know i strongly suggest therapy and this and that but you know philosophy at least the way that i work with it is for people who have more choices than children do right this is why i don't talk to kids
3: yeah, and uh, it's it's quite the challenge for uh, teams that are a bit smarter than average and they learn this this knowledge. I don't know if it's worse or better than if they just say
0: it It doesn't matter if it's worse or better because there ain't no change you get anyway, right? Well. Like people say, is it better to be dumb or better to be smart? It's like, who cares? You can't change it much either way, right? Why is this different? Intelligence is largely fixed, but... Uh... Okay, so, Good. Good, good. So, as far as it bidding fault goes, um, that's about the biggest reversal that we've had in the show, perhaps even in its history. Right, from a guy you're dreaming of vengeance to a guy who you might want to think about thanking one day. Yeah, and I suppose that would be. If useful. you'd sorry, and if you'd had a father, right? If you'd had a father, he would have done the same thing. Now, if you'd had a father, you probably wouldn't be in this situation, but your dad would have said, yeah, okay, if I have to break up this thing, i got to break up this thing, but this is not healthy, this is not good.
3: Well, thank goodness that I don't live with her anymore.
0: Right, right, right. Being able to back away, admit that you're wrong, is very, very important.
3: So I guess this leads to the conclusion. So how to?
0: Well, the conclusion is she didn't break your heart. <laughs> she didn't break your heart. She doesn't have that power. Because she, the girl has no power over you. The girl has no power over you. Who broke your heart? Who had power over you? Can you develop
3: a bit more on that?
0: Your girlfriend? She doesn't have any power over you. She's no legal authority over you. It's a purely voluntary relationship, right?
3: Yeah. So if I if I voluntarily give her my loyalty and my heart for about 2 weeks?
0: Well, no, that that no, that's that's not her breaking your heart. Because you deliver yourself into that situation. Let me give you an example. So let's say a guy, I, I come, I come on the show, and say a guy just beat me up, right? A guy just beat me up, and let's say that I went down to Portland during the middle of a riot, and put on a MAGA hat and had a big T-shirt of Donald Trump, right? And I got beaten up, right? Now. Of course, whoever beats me up is wrong. But what would your level of sympathy be for my supposed victimhood, right?
3: Yeah, you've got to be smart about this sort of stuff.
0: Sure. That's foolhardy. Mm -hmm. It's like if I say somebody stole my wallet, right? And you're like, oh, that's terrible. And then I say, yeah, I left it on a park bench for three days. I went back and it was gone. It'd be like, well, yeah, whoever stole your wallet was wrong, but, dude, it's not total victim land here, right? So you went and got involved with a girl <laughs> where there were serious warning signs, and you can't just saying well, she just broke my heart, it's like saying some guy just beat me up when I'm down in Portland with a MAGA hat on. I walk into Chaz with a MAGA hat or, you know, fuck communism or something like that, right? Or I go to some low-rent biker bar, go up to some huge drunken guy and says, "And say, you, you smell like you just had sex with your mother. Hey, man, I got free speech. You do. (laughs) You do. And he shouldn't beat you up, but he's gonna... You see what I'm saying? Right, yeah. You chose to get into a relationship with the girl. Which female did you not choose to get into a relationship with who had power over you?
3: Mommy.
0: Right. Your mother broke your heart but it's easier to blame the girl. Your mother also, because she was a drunk and a terrible person, it sounds like, your mother also betrayed you by not being attractive enough to get a decent stepfather into your life.
3: Totally true. Um, I mean, the she... trashy man
0: who the trashy man who floated around my mother's bed. <laughs> it was like an army. It wasn't even of the damned. It was just an army of the cursed, an army of the darned. I remember there was some fat guy who saw a woman on television with gaps between her teeth. And he said, yeah, it looks like she could eat a ham sandwich sideways through a Venetian blind. You know, kind of trashy. Another guy, I I used to watch Mighty Mouse cartoons when I was 11, and a guy thought that was I was too old for that. And he kind of made fun of me, and then my mother berated him in the next room, I'm sure, and he came out and apologized. But these were just kind of trashy guys. Of course they were. My mother was crazy and nasty. Pretty and slender, which I guess was enough. But uh, yeah, these guys were trawling the low-rent single-mother market. And, uh, of course, she couldn't attract a guy who would have been a good stepfather for me, right? So, you're not mad at your mom. You're not mad at your girlfriend. You're not mad at yourself. You're mad at the only guy who pries the two drug addicts away from each other before they kill each other or themselves. The man gets blamed for keeping people safe. It's a whole lot easier to blame men than to blame women, right? And it's a whole lot easier to think that your ex-girlfriend broke your heart instead of your mom. How did your father die?
3: Um, I think uh, it's called stroke.
0: Hmm. Related to stress at all?
3: Um, I'm not sure I mean he was older. he was like on his sixties, so
0: he was in his sixties like fifteen years ago. Uh, yep, yeah. holy shit. She married a pretty old guy, right? Yes,
3: because um her family was kind of unbearable to her, and when she found a guy that wanted her for God knows what reason, and he was already retired pretty much, and he could give her a home and
0: well. I'm sure your father would have broken your heart if he'd lived as well.
3: Yeah. I have no memories of him, but, I mean, he chose her. It's like...
0: Right. 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 Anytime in Internet, public and Internet culture, anytime you hold a woman accountable, you're considered to be... A misogynist, a woman basher. You just hate women. And men must forever be blamed for the wrongs that women do. I mean look at this this modern fetish, right? You know, you type in anti communist, it always corrects auto corrects to white supremacist if there was truth in advertising, right? It was Lady Gaga was saying, eh, all who are born in America have drunk deep from the poison of white supremacy, right? It's like, okay, well, who, who raises? The white supremacy must be coming from women if, if there is this, like if this fever dream was were real, the, the white supremacy, for those who believe in it, the white supremacy must be coming from women. Because women raise children these days. Single moms, daycare workers are overwhelmingly female. I was the only male in the entire daycare when I worked there kindergarten, primary school teachers, overwhelmingly female. So if there's all this racism or white supremacy, it's got to be coming from women. But do you ever hear about that? No. White supremacy is always portrayed as male, you see. Racism always portrayed as male. Because we can't blame, we can't hold women accountable because that's just bashing them and blaming them. And so women have occupied childhood, but all the cultural problems in society are somehow men. No, the autocorrection does not happen. But if there was truth in advertising, if there were truth in programming, it would. So... Women need to apologize to men. They do. Women need to apologize to boys for thinking that women could raise boys without fathers, to thinking that a welfare check or alimony or child support could replace an actual functioning father in the home. Women need to apologize to men because men pay most of the taxes and women reap most of the benefits. Women need to apologize to children because women hit children more than men do. Single moms need to apologize to children for either driving a good man away or choosing a bad man for their father. but it won't happen as long as we have the magic money of fiat currency because women can get what they want from men without having to be nice any more than a man writes poetry to a hooker. He's already paid for it. At least it's his own money, though, usually. So you're part of a much larger problem. I am as well. Which is, the moment you find a woman who can admit fault, correct course with reference to that correction, apologize. The moment she does that, you get down on one knee, and then the other knee, and you make her your wife because that is a treasure beyond reckoning. And I guarantee you that your ex-girlfriend could never admit fault. And if you are with people who cannot admit fault, you will die every day, eternally. You will be erased. Because there is always fault in relationships from time to time, And anybody who can't admit fault will simply make you the scapegoat for everything that goes wrong and you will lose your will to live very quickly as happened in only six months with your ex. You were both strangling each other with self-righteousness. That was unconscious. Until the girl's dad stripped you of your drug and cured your addiction. So don't feel bad. (laughs) Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. This is how we're all trained. We're all trained to be serfs to the female voters. Not all women. Not all women. Some great women out there. I know a significant number of them. They're not as rare as people think, but you've got to look outside the bar. you got to look outside the disco. But we are all trained to carry women over us like we're still attached to some umbrella-handled, hardened, umbilical keep them off the ground, keep them away from reality. But you find a reasonable woman who can admit fault, admit that she's wrong. Ah, you got a treasure, but I bet you your ex never admitted she was wrong and you didn't either. It's a good thing you guys weren't together or you would have done each other in. If you had stayed with your ex, you would never have gotten your mom out of the house. You understand it?
3: Yeah. The, right. withdrawal, uh, the withdrawal symptoms are kind of hard, but but they're justified. Well, no, but, you're, you're withdraw- but
0: these are not your with. You're not angry at the dad. Like, this is the last thing I want to say. It's the last thing. It's the most important thing to get, right? You're being run by your mother. This is all about your mom. This has almost nothing to do with you. Your mom failed to keep you safe because she prefers you to be with a dysfunctional girl than with a healthy woman because a healthy woman would see her like that and would call her out and would call out her bullshit and her dysfunction and she would be exposed in the eyes of you blindingly brightly. She cannot have a healthy woman around you because a healthy woman will call her out immediately. So your mom is perfectly happy having you down there with the trash where she is because that way she's not exposed. She's not shown up, right? And so your mom wants you angry at the man Because if you're angry at the man, you don't question the feminine. You don't question the female. This man has had almost no influence in your life compared to your mother. And his influence, although painful at the time, is positive. You're like someone who jokingly says, I hate my physical trainer because he he hurts me, right? Knowing that it's good, right? Healthy. Healthy. Or the dietitian right. Makes me hungry, right? But your mother is pointing your anger at the masculine so that you don't criticize the feminine. She's got you dreaming of vengeance against the man. So you step over the estrogen betrayal of the female. She's got you angry at the girl so you ignore the woman, her. It's not conscious, I don't believe. But a dog can catch a frisbee without understanding physics. And a woman can manipulate without being conscious of it.
3: So, um... I'm wondering how how will we go on in the next few days and months and years
0: to fix my... Well, now, see, now here's this is the typical thing, right? And this is only typical because I've been doing this for so long. So the typical thing is, now what do I do? Right? Now what do I do? So let's say a bus is coming down the road and it's about to squish into you and kill you, right? And I drag you back from the road... So you don't get killed by the bus, and then you turn to me and you say, "What do I do now?" Well, let's say someone did or said that to you. What would you say?
3: Um, I don't know what I would say, man. It's, it's, it's weird. The question it's a is really to say.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anything. See, what should I do now? Is it an attempt to put me in the driver's seat? That just got, your mom just got kicked out of the driver's seat. And then you're like, Steph, you get in the driver's seat. I'm like, no, fuck that. I don't want to be in your driver's seat. You should be in your damn driver's seat. Steph, what should I do? If my mom's not controlling me, maybe I can get Steph to control me. Right? A therapist. Yeah, I'll maybe get my therapist. To, or maybe I can get Ayn Rand to control me. Or maybe I can get whatever, Donald Trump to Whatever. Biden, who knows, Right but I don't do that. My whole point, the whole point of dethroning your mom is not to enthrone me! Or philosophy, or virtue, or, right? The whole point is freedom. Freedom. I don't know what you should do Because I don't know yet who you are now that you have this knowledge. And neither do you. You can't do until you are. And you can't be until you know. Now that you know, you sit with the knowledge. You meditate on it. You think about it. You talk about it. You write about it. You make sure it doesn't evaporate from you. You make sure it doesn't vanish. Because listen, your mama your inner mama stepped aside because of my forcefulness and my clarity. But she'll be back and she will try to distract you. Go read a book by C. S. Lewis called The Screw Tape Ladders about the essential role distraction has in a destroyed life. Because you have been distracted by this girl and you've been distracted by this girl's father from your mother, from, right, the truth about who has actually harmed you. And you've been taught to hate somebody who treated you well and you've been taught to love somebody who's treating you badly or at least to be attached to that person. So no, what should I do is a distraction. From the facts, you're like, oh, uh, I don't want to sit with these facts, so I need to leap into action. So tell me to do something so I can ignore the facts that I've just learned. You understand? Yeah. There's nothing to do. It's like I just gave you a car, and you say, well, where should I go? No. Learn how to drive the fucking car first. Learn what the car is. Learn what a map is. Learn what a GPS is. Learn how the engine works. Learn where the brakes are. Learn how to drive it. But if you immediately say, where do I go? Well, you don't go anywhere. You pick up a book on how to drive and what the traffic signals mean and you start to learn. Do you understand? You want to leap into action to avoid the impact of knowledge. Like like knowledge is a spear falling from the sky, and you're like, "Which way do I jump?" I'm like, "No, don't just catch it."
3: Yeah, I got it. Good. And so at this point, I
0: I have nothing more to say. Good. I'm certainly mean. Good. Like that's great, <laughs> but you know it's been a long call. So, <laughs> so listen, I really really appreciate this honesty of this call. I really really appreciate the feedback from the people on the server too. Great. Let me just type this in. Great stuff. And. I, um, I'm glad that we battled through. It was well, well worth it. So thank you everyone so much. FreeDomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. Oh, boy. Yeah, very, very helpful. I would really, really appreciate that. Uh, FreeDomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. Please don't forget the two books, man. You should check these books out. They're really, really good. And I know I'm doing fewer podcasts. It's largely because I'm working on these audio books, or at least this one. FDRURL.com forward slash almost and FDRURL.com forward slash TGOA. Um, if you like comedy, TGOA is better for that. If you like drama and history, almost is the best one for that. So thanks to James for setting this up. Thanks to you for listening and supporting this show. And thanks to the very kind caller, callers. Callers, callers. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. We will speak to you soon. Bye.